0: I wish we got taught this when we were younger you know we we get taught so much about you know history and geography and maths and science but what what about um, yeah our relationship with ourselves it just doesn't make sense hello and
1: warm welcome to the stories we tell I'm Nitya Shanti, a teacher and facilitator of conscious living here at Roundgrass. On this show, we share the gift of illuminating stories. Each week, you'll hear a life story from me and a special guest on a universal theme. Stories of self-acceptance, overcoming inconceivable odds, embracing change, and recognizing our limitless nature while honoring our humanity. Our journey is never finished, is it? Whether it's a journey toward health, wisdom, happiness, or what we call enlightenment. It's always a journey toward. We never actually get there. and That's okay. That's more than okay. That is something we have to acknowledge in order to move forward down the road. We need to let go of the idea that there'll be one day a happy ending, where we'll be perfectly enlightened or we will never actually get anywhere. This unfolding never really stops. What I've learned from my experience is that there's a paradox in the sense that the journey is endless and yet the destination is now. For a long time, I had a sense that once I could figure something out, my mind was concentrated or I had let go of certain patterns in my behavior, then I'd be I'd be done, I'd be fine, I'd be fit. And I realized that it's actually we coming back to the same place over and over again and seeing the place for the first time. I remember meeting one of my teachers and asking him, how come when we come for these retreats and we come for these intense meditation courses, then little by little the mind settles down and I feel so centered and I get these big insights, these blazing insights. But when I go back to my life, I'm not able to sustain it doesn't last. And he smiled and he said, you misunderstand practice and preparation. That you think when you're meditating or when you're chanting or when you're reading a spiritual book, that's practice. But actually that's preparation. And practice happens in the moment when we hit those ups and downs in our life. When we come and encounter that part of our nature which is so difficult to deal with. That's where the practice happens. When we meet our impatience, We meet our anger, we meet our stubbornness, we meet our arrogance, we meet our fear. Those moments where the unwanted things happen and the wanted things don't happen, that's where the real practice happens. Everything else is preparation. And that really was a big support to me. Thinking like that was a big support to me. I once asked him, why do we practice? And I really like his answer. He said, we practice to practice. We don't practice to get anywhere. We just practice to practice. We do it for the sake of doing it. We don't do it in order to feel better or get better or become better. We do it for doing it. And that's the best approach. And so I've learned to, in my own way, have what's called a beginner's mind. Zen mind, beginner's mind. And the beginner's mind has infinite possibilities. The expert's mind has few. In India, we have this phrase, guru. Someone who has become self-illuminated, someone who has all the answers. And I like to see myself more as a shuru. Shuru is a Hindi word for beginner. (laughs) Someone who is a beginner, someone who's seeing things for the first time. And I find that is the perspective which lets me access that place I talked about, which is the journey is endless, but the destination is now. Everything is perfect and everything can be joyfully improved. Our guest today is johnny benjamin at the age of 20 johnny was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder in 2008 a stranger stopped johnny from taking his own life on a bridge and changed the trajectory of his life in 2014 johnny launched a social media campaign called find mike in order to help him find the stranger who saved his life six years before he has used the story to promote mental health and raise awareness, and even turned into an award-winning book. However, Johnny's struggles with mental health didn't end that day on the bridge, nor did it end when he found Mike, whose real name is Neil LeBorn. And the pressure for Johnny to be done with his journey led to further struggles. Johnny, thank you so much for joining us. And I was, as I was researching your story, and learning watching some of your interviews it was very heartening to see how you're able to be so open and vulnerable about a topic that's so hard to discuss and also it was very inspiring for me personally to know about the work you're doing with schools and with so many youngsters because i know they need this more than almost anybody else and they suffer quite often in silence so warm welcome
0: thank you thank you so much what you mentioned before actually was well all of it was Really, really interesting, but particularly the thing that you said about you know being a guru, so when I went public with with my mental health, this was a, a long time ago, and people weren't talking about mental health like they are today for for a time, I was kind of like a poster boy, as they call it um for particularly schizoaffective disorder, and so people would come to me you know expecting all, all the answers and um not just individuals, but families. Actually, uh, lots of desperate families. You know, they want some sort of solution to help their their loved ones, and that was really difficult. I felt a lot of pressure to provide these answers and solutions, and yeah, I, I covered up the fact that I I was struggling with with that. Right. I wish I'd have been honest. That you know, because you want I, I well, I'm a fixer. I want to fix things particularly when people come to me and they're struggling or their family members are struggling i want to fix it but yeah the best thing that i can do is just be frank and just say look i I don't have all the answers but I, i i can at least you know advise them or signpost them somewhere or i feel like i have different tools that i can you know give to them but i can't necessarily give them what they want all the time um and i've yeah i've come to accept that even if they You know, because sometimes they'll come back and say, yeah, but Johnny, can you help support this individual? Can you guide them through? And I have to be, I I know I have to look after my own mental health first and foremost, but it's taken me a while to get to that place. There's a lovely quote.
1: I think Jeff Foster says this, that our feelings don't want to be fixed. They want to be felt. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn that in my journey. Sometimes meditation can be used to bypass feelings and to suppress almost uh sensitivity and in the name of being equanimous or in the name of being detached Uh, so i really had to learn to allow myself to feel the full range of my feelings and including things that i'd been told were negative and uh, not spiritual and to allow things to actually move through me and every time i allowed that to happen without adding judgments and stories and Further layers of, you know, what does it mean about me? What does it mean about who I am? And just allowing it to move through me, I felt it liberated me in some way. And I'd like to know about your journey
0: of working with your emotions and your mental states. I grew up in, uh, I'm I'm Jewish, and I grew up in a religious home, and um, I found there was a lot of uh, guilt and shame with those difficult feelings and thoughts and definitely in the jewish community where i'm from in london it's it's so much of it is about um kind of look you just you got to look your best if if anything is happening that's difficult you you just you hide it you you don't share it with the community because you know it's all about appearance when i sh- i struggled with my mental health from a young age and um you know myself and my family we just sort of yeah hid it hid it away you know it just wasn't the the the, the, the thing to talk about it and to yeah it was a source of embarrassment and particularly as i moved through my childhood and into my teenagers, and then i started struggling with my sexuality as well and again those feelings of kind of guilt and shame and like i'm not i shouldn't be i shouldn't be experiencing these things i kept telling myself and that of course just made it all worse the shame and the, the again the guilt and you know teenage years are hard they're really hard i think for everyone but particularly when you have things going on that you've got to or you feel you've got to bury and and hide It, it it made life yeah really difficult really really difficult and i didn't have a place to to process or i didn't know how to talk i didn't have the language back then i somehow i don't know how i got through my teenage years but i did and um obviously now i'm grateful for all those lessons that i learned but at the time, it was, it was tough. It was really tough, actually.
1: And does it help? Some people say being diagnosed is a great relief and finally they can, they can give it a name. And some people say that actually that becomes a bit of a cage.
0: What's your experience with diagnosis? Particularly getting the diagnosis that I got, schizoaffective disorder, the term schizophrenia, for me, it was a source of complete embarrassment. Um, and fear and, um, and, and for people around me, I think as well. I, w- I, w- I was put into a, a psychiatric hospital. I was given this diagnosis, I was given a lot of medication to take, and well, I, I felt I completely sort of lost myself I, re- I just I didn't see a way a way out, and that's when obviously the thoughts of suicide came because that felt like the only only option, the only route to take at that point it was all planned out I had it planned out and um, I said I needed a cigarette and I didn't even have any cigarettes but they let me out and um, yeah I ran I ran as fast as I could Um, I just I was determined to to run away and to go to a bridge and that was it really so this was January 2008 it was a really cold winter's day and um I wasn't wearing a jacket. I was only in a in a t shirt so yeah, it was obvious there was something not right here, and I was in this uh, kind of bubble, this very strange sort of yeah like yeah bubble, and then yeah, suddenly this guy was there next to me and trying to get through to me and and I wasn't very uh I wasn't very nice at first, to be honest, because you know um he was disrupting me. But there was just something about him and his um, kind of gentleness and patience and, and groundedness that started to change something in me. At that point that he met me, I was actually on the edge of a of oh, bridge. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, you know, all the signs kind of were there when he came and stood next to me, I guess. So I was in this hospital and you know, people wouldn't, they wouldn't talk to me. They would just watch me because I was, you know, I was, I was suicidal and they they would watch me and they would give me medication and, but no one was maybe willing to sit with whatever distress I was going through. They just wanted to, they, they just didn't want to hear it, essentially, whereas the guy on the bridge actually asked questions and wanted me to talk and wasn't afraid of it. And um mm. I think... You know, it's 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 difficult to listen to someone when they're in that state. It's really hard. But, you know, if you're able just to again just be grounded and stay calm and present and truly listen to the person that's in distress, it can make such a massive difference and validate what they're going through and give them some some hope and some, you know. The the thing that with me, I, I needed to hear someone say you're gonna get there. You're gonna get through this, and yes. no one had said that to me before. Because oh, something when, as simple as that, as simple yeah. as saying
1: that you're gonna get through this, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, you know, he he said it multiple times, and at first maybe you know I didn't, but then it did get through because he be- I I he it felt like he was genuine, and he really did believe. Yeah, no one no one else seemed to think my my family might my psychiatrist even was quite negative about my my situation and my kind of outlook but this guy on the bridge just seemed to have this real true belief that I would be okay and um yeah he offered that to me and I eventually I I I took it eventually you know someone had called the police because of the situation and the police turned up and it kind of changed the situation they were quite um, heavy-handed and uh, you know they just wanted to get me away obviously from from the bridge so they grabbed me and pulled me back and um, I got separated from the guy and yeah it was over really really quickly
1: and then six years later you began a campaign to find him
0: he he could have been anywhere he he might not have come forwards and it was a bit of a risk doing the campaign to be honest um, but Wanted the campaign to raise awareness, not just to find this guy, but to raise awareness of, you know, mental health and also suicide. Suicide is such a difficult subject to talk about, but we have to talk about it. We have to. For you to revisit the story so many times in all the
1: interviews you give, uh, what's it like for you to come back to it again? Do you feel that you're doing a service by doing this or does does it have an effect on you each time?
0: It used to, yeah. It used to have a really um quite profound impact on me. Particularly, you know, when I was reunited with Neil and we actually started giving talks together because people wanted to hear our story. It was really hard at first. But again I was yeah. covering it up. I was you know I just said to myself people people need to hear this and Johnny just pull yourself together and you know just just get on with it. But it really I used to cry Sometimes just, I remember we gave a talk at um, Yale University in, in in the US, and oh my gosh, I was so I was not in a good place, and I just cried my way through that talk, and um, I just remember thinking this isn't right, this this isn't right, that you know I should still have this um, difficulty, and it's taken me a long time to actually have a separation from that moment on on the bridge, and you know a lot of therapy actually I've I've. Yeah, I've had quite a lot of therapy, and um, that's really helped, I think. I'm sure there have been so many lessons along the way for you,
1: but I'm just putting myself in in the shoes of uh, maybe a teenager or maybe someone who's also dealing with mental mental health issues and just in, in very simple, grounded ways, as you are so grounded with all that you've been through, what could be certain things that we can offer them in today's conversation that might help them?
0: I keep coming back to to listening, the power of of listening. Young people aren't listened to enough, particularly when it comes to technology and social media. You know, there's a lot that these young people are having to deal with at at an early age. When I grew up, when we grew up, we didn't have social media, thankfully, or technology. But yeah, I, I just feel that young people too often are just shut down. They're just shut down. And people say, just, come on, just get off your phone. Just just stop playing with your phone. And we need to listen and understand what young people are going through when they are, you know, on their phones, seeing the things that they see. There's, there's some really difficult stuff that young people are, are seeing on Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is, whatever platform. And they need a space to process that. And not just social media or or technology, but everything in the world that that's happening and has happened, particularly in the last couple of years with, you know, um COVID and you know, it's really impacting young people and again they're they're just not given enough space to, to, to talk and to be listened to also there's so much focus i think on on school and exams and and pressures of of academia and uh when i go into schools and i talk to young people i really just try and give them lots of space and and time time i think is so key as well to really share whatever's going on for them and um it's just it doesn't happen enough in our in our world that we live in you know um and and listening without judgment and listening actively and not trying to fix or sort something out just really truly properly listening
1: you've been very open about the fact that both therapy and medication have been really important for you and talking about therapy is the therapy that you find helpful is it mostly someone just listening to you patiently or are there some other tools that you find particularly helpful
0: i have something called cft which is compassion focused therapy which I I found really useful. I used to have a lot of um, CBT, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, which is very much looking at thoughts and thought patterns. And it was useful, but I think for me, CFT, Compassion Focused Therapy, which is holistic and um, looks at your relationship that you have with with yourself. That's key. I think that's been the most helpful for me.
1: I saw this TED Talk, Johnny, which said... uh what if there's nothing wrong with you? This TED Talk presents a very simple practice where we look in the mirror every day and we, we take our own name. So I'd say, Nitya, just for today, what if there's nothing wrong with you? And I found that so powerful, just looking in the mirror every day and just saying three times to myself, Nitya, just for today, what if there's nothing wrong with you? And whatever you're going through is what you're going through. And it's, you don't have to compare it with anybody else. And I found that to be a little way in which I can practice self-acceptance and self-compassion.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's really powerful. I think doing mirror work as you as you mentioned. I think it's it's so it's so powerful. I could definitely speak from a place of being angry or jealous or um sad or yeah, shame, but never like self self-love. So it took it took it took a lot of kindness from my therapist and words of um encouragement and um lots of mindfulness within our therapy session actually to get me to that place of, of self-compassion. I remember
1: an exercise I did years back, which I still find helpful, was to write down all the things I'm angry about, others or even myself, all my anger. And then for each, each thing I'd listed to ask myself, well, what am I afraid of? Because the idea is that behind every anger is some kind of fear that mm-hmm. something shouldn't happen. Or if, I, if this keeps happening, something bad will happen. So identifying my fear behind the anger And behind every fear some unmet request some unmet need and then articulating that Mm. and finally grounding it in love and appreciation it was a shift from the voice of the inner critic which is anger Mm. and fear to the voice of the inner coach which is requests Mm. and love and that Mm. was something that helped me be a little bit more
0: self-compassionate i wish we got taught this when we were younger (laughs) you know we we get taught so much about you know history and geography and maths and science but what about yeah our relationship with ourselves it just doesn't make sense tell us more about your work the the foundation
1: that you set up for working with with the youth can you tell us more about Mm. that
0: yeah so set up this charity called beyond in 2018 because you know just found that there just was not enough help and support for younger people in 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 school, in college, in in university, we yeah we we provide funding because that's what we often find is really missing is is the funding when it comes to mental health. So we provide funding for things like um, maybe art therapy or or drama therapy or what we call mental health first aid training, all sorts of different things. We 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 speak to school that's in need, and you know we hear what, what's going on. Um, maybe it's trauma, there's a lot of trauma, or things like uh, anxiety or uh, self-harm, which we're seeing a lot of at the moment. We kind of match up the school with the most appropriate support. It's great, we get some really great results, particularly from you know art therapy, and because non, non-traditional maybe forms of, of therapy or treatment, we get some really positive results, particularly with the younger children. It's really great.
1: Amazing. I'm also curious about how the Jewish community has taken your your journey, and have they have they accepted you, or have they had a judgment about you? What's it been like?
0: Mm, it's really interesting. Um, see, when I first came out about my my mental health, there was just no talk in in, in synagogues, or I went to a Jewish school as well, and you know there was just not. It was just complete taboo. But I've been working with a a Jewish mental health charity in in London. You know, we've been trying to get into synagogues in particular. And over the years, yeah, finally, finally, we are we are getting through the door and we are talking to people in the Jewish community. And it's changing. It's changing. It's it's still there's a long way to go, particularly in the more sort of orthodox Jewish community. It's really hard. You know, they are very um, kind of they like to just keep themselves to themselves and it's really hard to get through but gradually there's a change and and i you know what we're finding is that it's the leaders that are now speaking up you know rabbis in the synagogues are actually saying you know this is important we need to take this seriously and when you have uh, leaders spiritual leaders obviously you know stand up leaders of faith stand up and say okay right we really need to do something about this that's when people start listening
1: i, I really get what you're saying in fact i agree with you about spirituality because some of my teachers that I respected, uh, talked about how after years of meditation and other spiritual practices, they still found big gaps in their in their personality, which no amount of meditation and prayer or chanting or any of that. Had, so they realized they needed uh, psychotherapy. So I don't know if it's a feature of our times or if it's always been a human need. Uh, but definitely, I think just like the East has brought this whole introspective technology, the West has got this Powerful understanding of the psyche. In fact, today I spoke to my therapist and I talked about certain mm. patterns I was seeing in myself. And so I think mm. it's really, it's really good to be to have someone we can we can talk to and talk about things that don't always get addressed just through the process of meditation. And I'm glad that that's coming up in in, in the tradition that you're part of.
0: I feel very lucky that I've got not just um, you know professional people to talk to, but family and friends to talk to. It must be so tough if people don't have that space around them. But you know, there's lots now, like um, lots of support groups and things online, which is great, and in person. So, um, you know, there's always someone out there, I think even if your family and friends might not be open and willing to to talk, then there is there is plenty of spaces out there for you.
1: So Johnny, tell me about some of the warning signs that can those of us who are not men- trained in mental illness and knowing these things, what can be some of the warning signs that we can actually pick up what's going on with our loved ones? And how can we be of support and help to them when we notice these things?
0: You know, changes in behavior, um, even if it's really small. So maybe someone isn't sleeping as well as they were, or maybe someone is um, quieter, more reserved. They, they, they don't want to go out, and they used to like going out and look it might it might not be it might not be anything but it might be something so you know just checking in and um you know again not dismissing it if someone says oh i'm 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 stressed about this or i'm anxious about that not never dismissing it uh, really listening to to what's going on for them as well i think definitely in the west we have this thing of um oh you know i mustn't I mustn't ask too much or, or I I'll only check in once and and then I and then everything's fine. So there's something I really like which is called ask twice. It's a it was a campaign in the UK and it's all about, you know, going back and just checking in again with someone and and again and and then again. You know, don't be afraid. If someone had a physical health illness like um broken bone if it was a broken bone, right? Um you know, we would keep checking in on oh, do you, do you need a hand with that, or or can I do this for you, or um, you know, how's your arm? How's your how's your broken bone feeling? We don't do that with with mental health and well-being, but we should. You know, keep checking in on 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 someone. Uh, it can make a real difference. Just just that question of just I just want to know if you're alright. Um, so don't ever be afraid to ask the question. It could make it literally could make all the difference to to someone during that day or during that week or month or whatever they're going through, just by you. Checking in and um, showing that you care and that you you love that person and you want to be there for them truly be there for them and listen it 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 really does help. Give us a few
1: quick resources that you tend to recommend to people.
0: I think you know in terms of finding support groups online, that's really that's really cool. So there's something called Humen, which is actually a men's support group around the world. And it happens every week and it's really powerful. Men, men join in from literally all over the world and they share. And now they're opening up support spaces in person around the world, which is also really cool. And then I think, you know, particularly we mentioned uh, like young people. I think there's some great resources online, um, organizations like Young Minds. Young Minds are not just there for the young people, but for the parents actually as well, who often are... Uh, confused or don't understand maybe they weren't again we didn't get any education at school around mental health so what they're seeing now in young people they they yeah they need some help and support with so young minds is great they have great resources for particularly for parents and teachers as well because often teachers now are seeing things that they didn't get any training for so it's a good one for them too um and then again for young people themselves there's something called the mix the mix is a really cool uh, organization that They're not afraid to talk about anything and everything that young people might worry about, from money to relationships, again, social media, how to to navigate that online world. Um, And they've got support groups and other young people to talk to peer to peer. So that's really useful. Also, uh, there's an organization which I really love called um, United for Global Mental Health. There's never been a sort of global initiative on mental health that's really kind of properly worked uh, that's joined people because that's the thing with with mental health that I find is that so often things are in silos people you know people do something um in in one place and they repeat it in another place well let's just work together and you know combine forces and act as one and it's it's really powerful United for global mental health what they're doing they're trying to bring voices from every single part of the world together to work together to learn together and um, I think it's really needed. That's amazing. That's a really great set of resources.
1: Tell us about uh, your, even you've written two books. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah. So the first book was uh, called The Stranger on the Bridge. And that was essentially my story that, you know, you've 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 heard some of. And then the second book is called The Book of Hope. And um, it's basically a collection of uh, people's experiences of overcoming adversity and finding hope. Um, it makes me really, really sad when I meet people, and I've met a lot of people that have kind of given up. Um, particularly young people. When I talk to young people, and they say, "Well, I've tried everything, and nothing's worked, and what's the point?" And um, yeah, it's re- it's really heartbreaking. So I wanted to bring a group of voices together, again from all around the world, all different backgrounds, all different experiences, um, to share how they how they found hope, how they found inspiration, how they, yeah, overcame those difficult moments and how they're managing their mental health. There's so much wisdom that we can learn from from each other and just wanted to just put it all together in in, in one book. So yeah, that's what we did with the Book of Hope. And um, it's great because every person has something different to bring, even though they might share similar experiences of trauma or depression or whatever it is everyone has their own unique way of, of coping that yeah can can learn from so i've got a lot from from the book and hopefully other people will or two
1: when you when you go back to your own book the book of hope uh, can you think of any quote or story that uh, you can you often think of that gives you encouragement
0: yeah there's a very special lady that i know who, she set up something called Breathworks uh, in, in the UK, in in the north of England. She's called Vidyamala Birch. And um, she went through uh, this journey where she basically was um, kind of paralysed. <laughs> you know, the doctor said, there's no hope for you. You're paralysed and, you know, you will never gain any control back in your body. And kind of life is sort of finished for you. Gosh, she she went through a lot. Not just in terms of physical, but but her, her mental kind of... Uh, health as well because of that but she said no i'm i'm not gonna let that defeat me and um yeah she turned to things like mindfulness and meditation and um set up her own organization and she just does the most incredible work she has the most amazing she's still i mean she's in pain and she she struggles physically a lot and uh, like many people in the book you know they still have these ongoing both physical and, and mental health challenges and yet they still have this incredible resilience that's that's the word that I like to use this resilience and I know that term is used quite a lot but I really see it in people in this book the, the the amazing resilience and spirit that that people are still able to maintain even in spite of you know these ongoing particularly health challenges to be able to find some hope within that to know that you can still live a, a happy fulfilling life even when you have ongoing health issues it's it's something that people need other people need to hear one of
1: the things i found quite helpful is in organizations there's so many meetings and i encourage mm-hmm. them before every meeting to just take a couple of minutes and do what's called mm-hmm. a check-in and everyone just shares how the day going how are they feeling right now what's going So make a uh, humanize it a bit instead of just mm-hmm. what is on the agenda and what have we got to get done the simple act of checking in and checking out Mm-hmm. keeps it human and keeps the connection real and gives at least a little bit of a space for people to talk about what's actually going on. That, you know, mm-hmm. okay, I'm in the meeting, but my kid's really unwell in the next room. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously cool. affecting me. But I, unless you give me a chance to talk about that, I'll never talk mm-hmm. about that. And you'll not understand why I'm distracted and you'll kind of judge me for not being attentive. So that I find such simple, simple tools like that can go such a long way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I also think... Um you know, again, with this, you talked about the workplace and this culture of never switching off. I think we need to be, again, kinder to ourselves and stricter in terms of boundaries, you know, um, shutting down the computer. Even if you've got emails that need to be sent, they they can wait. They can wait. Um, maybe not all, but most of them can wait until the next day. I just think we're, we live in this world where it's, so much pressure to get everything done as soon as possible and um you have to be on all the time and just taking breaks taking breaks um like proper breaks not just a break sitting at your desk eating a a sandwich for lunch i mean like go outside be in nature um there's nothing more powerful than yeah actually you know, leaving your phone behind or not looking at your device while you're going through. I mean, at the moment in the UK, it's it's where I am. It's spring and the blossom is on the trees and the daffodils are out and everything's coming to life again. And um, let's not miss that opportunity to, you know, experience nature.
1: So my last question for you is, uh, as a Buddhist monk, I was conditioned to think of enlightenment as the final goal. And once you attain that, then you're done. And that's the end of the journey. And you know, from after that, it's all smooth and it's blissful. And I've had to uh, reassess that and say, yes, uh, there, is, there, there are levels of awakening and there are levels of integration. However, the project of being human <laughs> doesn't really ever get mm-hmm. over. And while it can get somewhat smoother and there can be more awareness and there can be more self-compassion, like you said, uh, for me, I realize that it's, uh, it's, it's an ongoing journey and process. And I want to ask you, do you sometimes fantasize that, oh, there'll be a day when this will all be behind me and I'll finally be out of this illness and I'll finally be out of these mental health challenges? And I'll, yeah. do, you, do you sometimes fantasize about that or have you come to peace with that this is, this is the way it may be and, and I'm going to get more and more skillful at working with it?
0: It's, it's taken a while. It's taken a while. I always, you know, I'm, I'm 35 now and in my 20s and even my early 30s, I just, I always wanted a fix, a quick fix um particularly if i had a a relapse i've been into hospital uh, a few times it was always really really tough because i would be in hospital i would get out and then i would just go back to my old ways of sort of being you know whereas i had my last um relapse in the in the first lockdown in 2020 in the in the start of the pandemic and that was that was really really um hard because of all the restrictions you know in the hospital and when i came out of hospital that you know i couldn't see people and yeah i just i spent a lot of time by myself when i was unwell but i i took a break It, it forced me to take a proper proper break because i couldn't go anywhere i was stuck in in lockdown and um yeah, I've never done that before when I've been ill taken a I took months months away months away from from work from my emails from yeah all of all of the things that that were impacting my my mental health and um I just realized at that point that yeah I I could I could overcome I could always overcome because uh that was that was a really difficult that one because of again because of the lockdown because I was in a really dark place And yeah, coming out of it, I just said to myself, look, I might become unwell again. And that's, yeah, it, it might happen and that's okay. And the point is I can get through it. It's always been the fear of not knowing if I can get through it, but coming out of my last relapse and all my illness, periods of illness, I just, I know now that I really can get through any, any bout of schizophrenia, depression, Whatever it is I, I i can I can overcome it. I have the the tools I need now to to persevere and to come out the other side. and just I think knowing that and believing it that will get me through everything
1: that's so that's so heartening and encouraging to hear Johnny, and especially after what you've been through and the challenging time and how close you came to the edge that's and I'm sure that's going to be encouraging for so many people. In my own journey, what helped me is recognizing that there is a body and there is a mind. uh, But there is a dimension which is hard to describe, which is untouched by what's going on with my mind and body. And the more I have come to rest in that nameless, timeless dimension, I'm able to bear the fluctuations of my mind, my emotions, my body. Like for the last several days, I've been having a lot of knee pain and I noticed how I'm not making stories around it. I'm not saying, "Oh, what does it mean for the future? What's going to happen?" Mm-hmm. It's just a knee pain, you know. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just liking the fact that I can accept mm-hmm. my knee pain and not make a big deal around it. And yeah, at some mm-hmm. point, I may need to show it to a doctor, or whatever. But I've this. This is something that I found to be so powerful. This gift that I got through my training, of just witnessing mm-hmm. things and not taking it so personally, and knowing this too shall pass, and mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't define me. And if I can allow it to move through me, it only refines me and it, it deepens my maturity and, 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 and I get a full taste of life in all its richness.
0: Absolutely. 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 Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I guess it you know, hopefully it also um gives you a sense of gratefulness for your for your exactly. other knee. Exactly. And, you know, for the time when hopefully <laughs> that knee pain will pass and you can That's exactly today I was saying why why am I focusing why am I not focusing on the other knee the
1: other knee is doing well that's what I need to focus on (laughs) (laughs) Johnny where can people find more
0: of your work just my website uh, johnnybenjamin.co.uk and the charity that I set up is called Beyond and it's wearebeyond.org.uk and um, yeah everything you can you can find on there
1: thank you so much Johnny for sharing with so much of honesty and vulnerability about a difficult topic And I think you're really being a role model for all of us to be more open and upfront about what we're going through. I've really felt enriched listening to you and having this conversation. Thank you all for listening. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of Stories We Tell. Don't forget to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're looking for new ways to explore conscious living, then please subscribe and join me on the Roundglass Living app, In addition to this podcast, you can find courses, classes, recipes, music and more to help you make positive changes while doing what you love. Until next time, I'm Nithya Shanti. Goodbye. The stories we tell is a part of Roundglass. Holistic well-being at your fingertips. Find out more at roundglass.com.